So we've been to Sundance a, a couple times, not with a film. Lucky you, bastard. Yeah. Um, but how how was the experience? And it's interesting going there on a project like VHS. I mean, um, you know, I don't want you to have to say like, was there competition? Like, how do you stand out? Because you're you're trying to stand out in Sundance, anyways, right? Because not every film gets noticed. Is it beneficial for it to be a type of project like VHS where you're kind of maybe all pooling your own resources kind of for the team or do you think it's more challenging to be the part of a of a bigger picture yeah no I mean honestly for us it was like just a we're thrilled to be there b we had no resources at all when we were even like Simon and Rox and Adam when they were putting up making posters they're like well where's your poster for your movie they're like we don't have a poster it's just a movie so what they did is they went to like a Rite Aid and they bought poster board that was like, you know, like a poster sized poster board. And they had a bunch of VHS tapes there. They took the VHS tapes, pulled out the tape, duct taped the big X and just taped the VHS tape to this poster board and said VHS tracking you. And that was our poster. I think just approaching it from like, like we always did like that. A, happy to be here, can't believe we're here mentality, it, it, you know, that that helps us stand out a little bit. And then B, just like the punk rock vibe that group that was involved in the first VHS has. I mean, it was Adam and Simon who were just, you know, brilliant writers and filmmakers. You know, David Bruckner, who did The Signal and Night House is coming out this, this summer, which is great. And he's on board the new Hellraiser. It was just like a good blend of people at the right time. And, you know, everybody had a good show you know everybody was there there was something for everybody in vhs like you, you could do like one segment more than the other one so it kind of made it more universally appealing as a whole but you know if they were all individually segments you know who knows what the reaction would have been but like since you were able to find something in joe swanberg's or you know glenn mcquade's or ty west's or you know simon and adams or ours or bruckner's then it kind of just made it more encompassing and and you know that's why anthologies are fun and that anthologies are a great way to get into anything because yes there's pressure your part has to be good and has to live up to it but you know there's other parts there and there's other filmmakers there and like having more people in that room and on that team together opens up the accessibility factor a little bit at least it did for us and that's why we ended up doing southbound too because we all wanted to be like, hey, let's just all get together and do another one, get back into the same room. So it's almost the entire same team. Um, it's us, David Bruckner, Roxanne Benjamin, Patrick Horvath. So it was like, oh, cool, let's just do it again. Chad, uh, real quick, and I'm just totally spitballing off the top of my head as I'm sort of mm -hmm. listening, and listening to you talk about it. Uh, do you think that there was anything like maybe a little serendipitous luck on some level? Because I remember when the, like reading the trades and everything like that when the first VHS came out and you guys got a hell of a lot of publicity and marketing from it. Do you think that there might have been some luck on some level to actually be accepted into Sundance as opposed to almost something like um, something like Slam Dance almost, where it like mm -hmm. you would have been up against other genre films? Because as we all have admiration and respect for Sundance, like sometimes the films can sort of be pretty heady and take yeah. themselves very seriously. Do you think you guys were able to sort of sort of circumvent a lot of other films from like publicity standpoint because of you stood out? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely think so, because I, I, especially at Sundance, you know, and the midnight screenings there are just always a blast and just a lot of fun. And, you know, um, but the best genre festival to me is still is, is Toronto. I think what they do at TIFF is just fantastic. And the fans that go out to the midnight screenings in TIFF are just next level, like incredible. 
Um, so it is kind of weird that we got into Sundance. Yeah, I, I, I do think it, it's that because you stand out a little bit and it had just more of a disruptive vibe. What general tips do you have for uh, filmmakers when they make a festival? Not, maybe it's not, you know, a top tier, but, you know, you've been to a good a good number of them now, for sure. People who might not have an agent or a publicist or, you know, that you can yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, kind of... honestly, I think that that might be one of the hardest things. And like, hopefully this year festivals are back to being festivals where everybody ends up at a bar after a screening or, you know, because that interaction, that human interaction is is vital. You know, you need to have that, like networking is probably like the number one thing to do at those things. And just talking to the right people, it's something that I usually abhor, I'm horrible at. Um, cause I like to just have beers with the people who made it and be like, Holy fuck, we're here. Like, this is awesome. Rather than be like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Like that type of thing. But, but I do think there's an element of that that is important. I am. Um, and then I also think the best, like cool the movies there, but yet the Q and A is so insanely important. Like be ready to give good answers, to engage people that give them a little bit, but not everything, you know, like make them want to look further into what you do and how you, you know, what is your process? Um, because that's, that's the one time you actually get a shine. The movie is what it is. And, you know, it could live on its own as a film. Um, and that's without like the restrictions of budget or anything else. Like people all understand that, but like who you are as a filmmaker and what you want to say and like, what's behind what, you know, why you did what you did or how you did it and answering the questions well and giving good face for lack of a better word, as your initial, like, hi, how are you? Um, it, it's important. And, uh, it, you know, you could gain a lot from those Q and A's, you know? So that, that's one thing that I learned was fun. That was like when it got fun. It was like, oh, wow, we're not, we're not just here at Sundance, but like, oh, now people are actually asking us questions. And this is why you do it. So you could talk about like, you know, the motive behind like, why did you think they need to die with a train? I'm like, I don't, well, the train's cool. <laughs> and like, you know, give much better answers than that. Cause like, I don't think I ever gave that answer before, but you know, just riffing, that's what came to mind. I think that's, that's an important element. And then also taking in as many films as you can too, because you're there amongst your peers, right? You know, there's no competition amongst screenwriters or anything like that, but the more breadth of knowledge you have as to what is out there, what deals are getting done, because that's another element too, right? You gotta think about it like, oh, this is a business. Like I just made a tangible thing that I need to sell so people can watch like knowing that element and having the right team around you for that. And also knowing what is getting bought and why it was bought is important, you know, and that informs maybe the next project or the project after that. And just not being bitter about anything too. I think that's another thing is like, if you don't find the right audience at the same time, you just got to get out there and do it again, or, you know, keep putting your project out there and it will find an audience, you know, and, and, or, being very critical about yourself. Like, I know why this didn't find the right audience or the audience that I was going for. I missed this mark. So the educa the constant education and the constant interaction and the constant humanity of festivals are like the best things you can take out of it. Great. So the peer group that you had, that you had in, in right. your festival. Yeah. Um, because none that... of them talk to me anymore at all. They all hate me. Well, see. okay. I'm, I'm see, kidding. that I'm was kidding. the yeah. question. Okay. So... <laughs> See, I was going to ask you that question. So the camaraderie and the and the peer group that you had when you made that film, did you establish a a group that since you've all gone off in different directions and 
done different projects, have you still maintained a similarity in styles and interests as you've gone off into different projects? Could someone say later like, oh, I see this thread through all of these filmmakers and these, these groups where you could say they're part of a, of a movement, of a genre mm -hmm. of their own. Would you say that exists between you all or do you just not talk to each other? Is there no uh, similarity in your work? No, well, here's like the weird way it, it diverges, right? Because we all came together for both like VHS and Southbound, but then we all go our separate ways and you're like, oh, what you need to do is you need to make that more radio silence. Like you need to go way down that path. You need to do more David Bruckner and go way down that path and waste Simon Barrett. But then we all still talk to each other and we give notes on first, you know, first cuts and stuff like that. Like we gave Dave first notes on his initial cut of the night house and being like, oh, cool. Like we see, see where you're going. Like you could lean into this element a little bit more. Like let's embrace our own voices as colleagues, you know, and now like hopefully take those opinions and grow as that artist grows. Like we're not going to ever tell anybody you need to be more like us, but we will tell them like, you need to go, this is what you're going for. And I think you, you're either on the mark or off it just a little bit, but lean into this a little bit more or lean to that a little bit more you know and of course you're going to run into some people you might not want to work with again or might not give notes to but that that happens and you just say okay cool or you know you don't need to talk again and that's totally fine but like i think having a sense of camaraderie is is good having a sense of understanding where people are coming from is also very very important and knowing what their interests are and if their work is actually highlighting their interests or if they're chasing something else because you could easily tell if somebody's work is chasing something rather than being its own voice and always like want them to embrace their, their voice and find their, their own creative vision and get it out there. Um, and, and having peers to do that is, is, is very nice. Like even today I've texted with Brad Miska, Roxy and Benjamin, Simon Barrett, um, the, like they're working on VHS four right now, oh, wow. which is kind of crazy. Um, we're, we're not involved in the physical production. We're just, we're attached as executive producers. Um, I think it's going to be on Shutter. They had a filmmaker fall out and we referred another filmmaker to them. And I think they're trying to get those deals done and we'll give our notes on the scripts and watch the shorts and, and just continue to be a part of the process. So you go from uh, two anthology projects, then I assume at that point, because they're both well-received, you know, then you're on some more radars, right? How does how yes. do you get to the point of um, ready or not? Oh well, well you skipped does... a couple of years of director's jail that year, and after, after I did. Which, all right, which let's let's talk about skip that one. Let's um, talk about it. Let's talk about. So, it. Yeah, no, let's talk about that a little bit because, like, you know, from VHS we got into the studio system at 20th Century Fox with uh, Devil's Due. It was a project that was, it went so fast from like in the time we were pitched to it to the time it came out was just over a year. So it was like something that moved really quickly. Um, and it was like money. So we had to like take the job and like, you know, we were in, found, in the found footage space and we had to make that movie. Um, it is what it is. You know, we made some good friends on it, but that's about it, you know, in terms of the movie. I, I, I do enjoy the, the people I met during it. Um, I don't think the movie needed to be made, but you know, we did cash a check and we, we, we ended up making it. And it was a movie that allowed me to stop waiting tables. So it was like finally that type of movie where I don't need to be a bartending anymore. I could just be focused on 
reading stuff. So that was fun. Um, and then after that came out, we're like, oh, fuck. You know, like we couldn't, like we, we didn't, we tried to get projects and we didn't get them. And, and, you know, things would come across our plate and, and it would just, you know, go away. So it was right back to the well, right? And mm-hmm. embracing so when you say the, things, things went away. Like, um, you know, you were obviously, uh, competing for jobs and just mm-hmm. things weren't things weren't landing is what you mean yeah no i mean yeah it was, it was radio fucking silence all over again you know it's like oh cool the phone stops ringing and then you have to figure out well, well let's make our own thing again you know and we wrote and sold a couple tv shows in that time we wrote we did one for comedy central that was more chad matt and rob as a series um that didn't get picked up um then we did we showed a sold, we, we sold a show to NBC with both Blumhouse um, attached and and another producer attached that was more um, it was called the static and it was about um, true events if they if you take like one piece of a true event and then actually fictionalize what that true event was you know one about an alien sighting there was one about a beacon that just radio signal that just never stopped from Russia um there was one about like the the catacombs of the vatican and stuff like that and just do an hour-long anthology series about that which that we got to write three scripts for you know there's a script the series order ended up not going forward so we were just like bummed about that process and working with nbc and we're not really nbc type of guys i don't know if you noticed (laughs) (laughs) it, it just it wasn't really the right fit um this was before like the stream streamers started really coming exactly. up like oh, yeah yeah this, okay. is, this is 2000 right after devil's do so it was 2014 into 15. okay um yeah. and uh so yeah so 2014 most of the year 2014 we, we wrote those scripts and then by the end of 2014 we we're like all right let's get the band back together and let's just go make a movie with our friends and we can make something on the low and you know brad misco is like these guys would do in a heartbeat you know we could get $375,000 to make a movie. So we made Southbound for that. And that was a lot of fun just being back in. We'd go to Roxanne Benjamin's like every Tuesday and all work on our scripts together and like just talk about what we were making. Um, Cause we wanted to make an anthology but we wanted it to be a little different than an anthology, right? We wanted like the segments to seamlessly blend into each other. Mm-hmm. We called them zipper transitions is what we call them. Um, and it was like the baton pass from segment to segment. So we knew there was going to be overlapping production and, and, and things like that, but we were able to make that movie with that group. Um, you know, and again, that, that like luck of the draw that got us into, uh, Toronto. So we did, we, that premiered at TIFF and then in the fall yeah. of 2015. And then after that, we immediately got attached to ready or not, but nobody was making it. Like we tried to attach cast first. Nobody wanted to come on board. It took us a while, so it's a, and a, a bit of development to do it. And then we ended up pitching the day after the 2016 election to Fox Searchlight, and we're like, it's a movie against the 1%, how they're all evil, and everything like that. And, you know, that pr- process went well. And then Get Out came out. And the initial draft of Ready or Not was, like, not a wedding. It was going home to meet the in-laws for the first time. And them deciding that they have to hunt her because she's not one of them in the secret you know, cult. So we're like, fuck, now what? You know? <laughs> so we had a meeting at Searchlight Pictures, and it was the meeting where they told us while we were in post that was like, that was the kill meeting. That was the meeting to say, hey, this movie's done here. 
And you're like, well, yeah, there's some similarities and stuff like that. And out of nowhere, like, I think Jamie was like, well, what if it's on their wedding? You know, and then I was like, yeah, no, the poster could be like a bride in a wedding dress with a shotgun. That that image is great. (laughs) And then we just, we kind of saved that movie in the room on that day. And, you know, a couple months later, we actually got the budget to work because that was a whole other thing that took about a year to get right. Initially, it came in at 12 million. And they're like, well, you got to go shoot it in, you know, Romania. And we're like, how the fuck are we going to shoot this in Romania? (laughs) You know, and then they're like, well, that's too much for us. We got it down to six million dollars. So we made that for six million dollars. They're like, "All right, cool, go ahead and make it." And we did it in twenty-five days in Toronto. Yeah, you did in one lo- one location. Where? Yeah, yeah, where is the house? It's in it's, not, it's, uh, it's three. So the okay. Parkwood Estate is the main grounds. Um, that's out in Oshawa, in Ontario, outside of Toronto. Um, it's the house from Billy Madison. Like if you see the pool, oh, if, no shit. If, awesome. if you notice, if you notice the fountain at the beginning where we're doing the wedding scene, that's the yeah. the pool where you know Newman was in like with the <laughs> with wow. the floating everything. Yeah. So and then the house, the stairs that Grace comes down, those are the Billy Madison stairs. We're like, we can't oh, shoot right. it like this, or else it would look like Billy Madison. We all knew the song on the stairs. Yeah. So we ended up shooting straight up and straight down just to get around that type of imagery the hallways we used were uh, at casa loma which is this giant castle in downtown toronto um so that's where all the hallway shots were dining room was at the ywca in oshawa and because the other two are like you know pristine estates and historic sites so you couldn't get blood anywhere um the ywca was we were like well we need blood for the dining room scene so let's a little just a little just a little bit yeah yeah, so so we ended up doing that at the YWCA there, which was uh, a treat. And then we just pieced it all together. Movie magic, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. Oh, so that, that's the way you're not house. Yeah, that was a trip. I know that you're you're active on Twitter and uh, you enjoy good <laughs> political uh, <Yes. laughs> debate. The tone and the timing of Ready or Not, yeah, I feel is like... Um, it feels like it was something kind of we all needed. <laughs> Did it feel like um, it was something you all needed? Did you exercise some? Uh, some oh, without without question, fears uh, and anchors. It was serendipitous, and that's why I said like the day we pitched them was the day after the election, and that's why yeah. Searchlight got on board. Like we we just leaned into it, and you know, um, and they were like, "Yes, let's do this." And you know, it, it still took two more years before we even got to physical production. Um, like I said, with the script, script changes and the budget changes and everything like that, it was like, all right, it was it was a, it was a uphill battle, but we got it there and um, got it done. But it definitely did exercise some demons, and it was it was it was fun topically, and it, it honestly it came out at the right time in the world and i think that's why it did catch on a little bit did you guys discover your your lead or had she it's the first time i had seen um well yeah no searchlight actually suggested her because they worked with her on three billboards uh outside uh ebbing montana and they're like her takes are great like they watch dailies together and they're like you really should talk with her oh i didn't even and, make uh, that connection she yep, was in three yep, so ah. yeah so searchlight is the one that put her on our radar and we met with her for coffee and scones at a small coffee shop and you're like oh yeah no without question she's the she she would be our lead yeah she's and we'll we'll work with her again yeah there's actually a character in screen named after her because that's why 
we wrote it for like Jamie and Guy were like, oh, we got to write it for tomorrow. You know, schedules didn't line up. So, hmm. and and I, to that said, it's serendipitous how things like that work because I can't imagine like it with any other cast because we have just the best cast for screen. Like I love them all like family now. They've been incredible and it just uh it's it's crazy. We talked offline about Andy McDowell, uh who's, you know, a fantastic actress who had never done a role like this before. You know, how was right. how was it working with her? Did she like, you know, <laughs> did she just dive right all all in? I know you talked well, about the first scene you filmed with her was quite a crazy scene to right interview. yeah so the very first scene we filmed with her like first of all it's like that was our first time actually working with a movie star and andy mm. is a movie star like she yeah. she you know she she brings that to a room she walks into and she got to she got to toronto a week before we started shooting and you know you, you have to feel each other out a little bit like who's really in charge here and how's it going to go down and i think she start. you know she definitely understood what we were going for with the movie and how we wanted to take it. And then it was, I think the first, the, the final rehearsal was the Friday before we started shooting on a Monday. Um, Samara and Andy were doing the, the scene that we were going to do Monday morning, which is the fight scene between Grace and Becky Vadomas. And uh, Samara accidentally clocked her with the fake <laughs> foam <laughs> brick in her head. And she had a big goose egg on her head. And we're like, holy shit, not, we just like, he just punched Andy McDowell in the face. And Samara was like mortified and like totally <laughs> embarrassed by it. But it, like after that, Andy was like, it was, everything was different. She's like, yes, this is like getting back to the roots. This is like getting into it. Like this, she, she was like thrilled, you know? And then shooting with Andy and Samara that first day, we're like, oh, wow, this is going to be special because Andy was having a blast. She's never been on the stage fight before. Like, and she told us that then she's like, I've never thrown a punch before on film. We're like, oh, well, you're going to throw quite a few things today and then, you know and then it doesn't end well for you um so it was a it was a great um in to working together and it really broke the layers down quickly in the of defenses um quickly because then you just have ultimate trust in both filmmaker and actor and, and performance and uh, a good bonding experience for us all nerd question real quick you said 25 mm -hmm. day shoot how many pages are you guys shooting a day with that type of turf like turf? yeah that one was like you know there are some days when we'd have you know an eight page scene to do and have 12 characters to cover and those were daunting you know like but like lucky for us we're used to working with no budget so it's like all right cool like let's pick the camera up instead of like set up dollies and tracks and stuff like that hold it and you know that that little visceral like verite style thing is one of our calling cards and we get into it and you're able to cover out a lot more that way and shoot a lot more coverage and getting two cameras you know operating and you're like all right cool let's let's find a way to get it done you know and then some of the harder days were the days when we had to do stunts and and things like that or car work because of our budget like a day that on a normal production would have been like on a green screen stage we had to do on a Friday. So we started the day at 6 p.m. and it was in the middle of a field um, just to get the grace in the car driving away from the Stevens character bit. And that was like an insane pain in the ass because we were trying to do green screen outside in Toronto in November. It started snowing. We're like, this is ridiculous. Like it was insane. And you know, then we still had to do the car flip. And that was basically a car on a rotisserie type thing that spun end over end like this. And there were giant 
flakes of snow outside of it and uh the seatbelt ended up flying up in her face and we couldn't use any of it and we had to reschedule that shoot and... yeah it was it was a nightmare but like when you're plowing through the script i think in knowing the no- limited number of days you had um and trip vincent who was our producer on that movie was incredible about like guys we don't we have too much movie not enough time so we went through and strategically like dissected the script and moved things to different scenes where we could combine, you know, elements of the script. So we weren't sacrificing story, but sacrifice locations or elements like that, because we had to do that beforehand. And that was, that was up until like the week before shooting started. So that, that process was nuts. And then on top of it, Trip was like, can you, if we can make our days for the first 10 days, I think I could buy us an extra day. So that was like the extra pressure on top of it. No zero overtime the first 10 days. And I think we made it up until that Friday, which was we were snowing and it was outside. We went 20 minutes over, but we ended up buying a 26 day that, that way. We, yeah. we definitely needed. This is the minutiae and the, you know, sort of the more analytical side of things that maybe isn't always like you think about, but it's incredibly important when you're shooting a film. And it's always the sort of the thing that gets overlooked a lot of times for a lot of time in production. I mean, I would say just, it always does. You need, to, you need to have enough time to make sure everything happens in front of a camera or else you don't have a movie. And that's like, that's important. So you need to be very strategic about what you choose to do in front of the camera to make sure you get the entire story and you don't have a crew that wants to kill you because you went over um, when we did treasure hunt one of their interactive adventures we had a 23 hour day where we shot and this was in a day when we did desert work during the day and then we were in a mine shaft overnight and like there's only five of us but <laughs> I've, I've been on those, <laughs> on those shoots chad i've been on those yeah. shoots i yeah. know very well what you're talking about right. yeah. <laughs> it, it happens and uh yeah you you want to avoid that and and plan wisely and, and be prepared and, you know, and be ready for things before they happen. So you complete ready or not, which was a whole lot of fun um, for those with dark sense of humor. Uh, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it for sure. Um, and if, again, it feels like it's kind of the culmination of everything you guys did up to that point. Is that basically, that's how you get scream as you get to that point? Or are you guys still like, um, pitching and grinding does it get a little easier chad i guess is the, the question well, it, it does never gets easier and honestly i don't ever want it to i kind of enjoy like everything being earned a little bit and justified i think i think when you have too many people saying yes around you then you you, you kind of go off the rails a little bit in terms of what you're making right you need somebody to say no or is that really the best way or is that really the best move right so after ready or not yeah we, there were a couple projects that came up and one of them we had to step away from which i think elizabeth banks is making now and that was heartbreaking um it was called cocaine bear it's about a bear on cocaine which is still one of my dream projects and i i you know and it was written by jimmy warden who was samara weaving's husband um so it was in the family but we had to step away from it to do scream and and the way scream came about like we were the only filmmakers they came to because it's the exact same team as Ready or Not. So Project X, which is William Sherrick, Paul Neinstein, Jamie Vanderbilt, um, you know, got the rights through Spyglass and, you know, they pitched Kevin Williamson and they did all that song and dance and they're like, we need filmmakers to do it. And they're like, they brought us in for a general with Gary Barber, who's the head of the studio thinking it was a general, but we didn't know it was like an interview to actually do screen. So we just went in like, hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Like, this is nice to meet you. Yeah, you have a lot of cool stuff. We were very excited to find out in that meeting that Jamie was writing screen. Because we're like, oh, wow, one of our friends is writing screen. That's so awesome. And then by the time we got down to the 
valet to get our cars. We're like, wait a second, do you think that was? And then they called and they're like, so do you guys want to do screen? And we're like, oh wow, that's incredible. Holy like, shit. So it, yeah, it's just crazy the way that worked out. Just having the, that team in place, and you know, we have a couple other projects in development with them, and you know, you know, and finding people with this similar sensibilities that you also could have freedom of discussion with, and freedom of debate with, and creative debate with, I think is is important because, like, I know in the room over there, I keep looking over there because our edit suite is across the courtyard over there, um, and I could hear Jamie through the windows because he's on Evercast and Matt and Tyler in there, like. Um, getting the edit going but like being able to have that discussion as to what works what doesn't work or why doesn't it work or how can we make this work um is important you know because it does take a village to make a movie it's not a tour thing isn't really for us we're like all right cool like best idea wins let's have that discussion let's figure it out and we're all coming from this one from a place of a fans like geeky fans of the scream and west craven and everything and kevin williamson and also like just truly passionate about what we're trying to do and trying to put out there. Like, you know, like we want to make Wes and Kevin proud. And I think that's where we're looking at it. Um, and the way we approach this movie rather than let's have like make something that would do well, like, no, let's make them proud first. And like, if we start with that and make that our true North, then, then I think we, we can do the Scream franchise justice with a new one. So for the geeky fans of Scream, Mm-hmm. Will they be satisfied? How's the story? What's the story? Give us a little tease. I, I, there's nothing I can really say. That, <laughs> you know, I don't want to give anything away. I think they will enjoy it. I think the extremely geeky fans will actually be taken back a little bit. You know, we do talk, we touch on several different topics. You know, obviously it's a screen movie. So you're going to, you know, there's, there's a lot of high school themes in it. And there's also a bigger commentary on the world of which we are in right now mm-hmm. um and i think that's what scream does so well and it's a way you know they they hide the vegetables in the pudding like no other franchise right like because things are different now than they were in 1996 it's not just like you know like one of the best lines from the, the original scream is like what's a teenager like you doing with a mobile phone <laughs> you know like to billy loomis and like you know so we can't do those direct callbacks <laughs> right so it, it's a different world there's different things happening but what we can do is comment on what's happening in our world and, and where that type of commitment to a franchise, you know, goes astray and, and things that people do that way. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But the spirit of Scream is definitely in the DNA of this new Scream. And Sydney Prescott is, you know, in her early 40s, just yes. like all of us. So <laughs> yeah. And she's in college no. too. And those, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what is she so, up to these days? She's she's uh she's still after Ghostface, you know. She's doing <laughs> All a right. good job. You're doing a franchise now, so you have different challenges and different pressures now going in that direction. I mean it sounds like you all just jumped right into it. Did you have a second thought though of like, uh, you know, because it's not quite or it's not original, it's Oh, you yeah, got a lot no, of baggage no. there. <laughs> yeah, no, that was honestly that's one of the debates, right? And that you know, there's three of us, and we're like, all right, cool, like let, let's talk about pros and cons of both, right? And for us, like honestly, it was between Scream and Cocaine Bear. And I'm like, I mean, we can make a movie about a <laughs> bear on cocaine that's based on a true that's story. Awesome. Um, it's, it, it was an incredible script. It was totally original, and we just weren't getting there, both in terms of numbers and in terms of. Uh, like the CG budget was just a little too high 
for what Universal wanted to spend. And then, you know, to be able to work with your friends, like with Jamie Vanderbilt and William Sherrick and Paul Einstein, to make a franchise movie that is Scream, which is the embodiment of both genuine terror and levity and commentary. It's like, if we don't make this movie that is basically the new Radio Silent, like what we want to do as a Radio Silent brand, then we are going to let it, that door open for it to go astray or mm-hmm. for, you know, that, that, that mark, that calling card be, to be taken from us. And, you know, we were very hard about that. And then we initially came in and I was in this exact seat where I read the script the first time. So I was like, I was sitting here and Matt was over there. Tyler was over there because we had to come in and do paper copies because obviously it's a screen franchise and it's known to let like the script leak and stuff like that. We came in and uh, we, we were like, all right, let's just be honest with ourselves. Like if it's not there, we'll say no and like we'll still be friends and everything like that. So we started reading it. It took us about four hours to read it. And Jamie kept po- poking his head and he's like, wait, did I just hire three illiterate guys to make a screen movie? <laughs> because he's like, what are you guys doing? We're like, we're definitely taking it all in <laughs> and while we're reading it. so Do you read and you're commenting in. while you're reading? Like, are you, you reading read... it aloud? Or are you? No, it was dead silence. So we just <laughs> kept reading it and we're like, cool. And then we'd be like, oh my God. And where are you? I'm on 39. I just got to 39. Like, you know, and we would be like on the same pace because we were just like combing it and just honestly taking it all in because this might be our one and only time to read the new screen movie because we didn't know how it would go after that. So we were making sure we knew the whole thing and we were so in sync with our read, we'd even just start chuckling at the same time. And like, I'm being like, oh my God, at the same time. And like, wow, that, that afternoon, you know, we talked about it and talked about it. And like, listen, we still have all our other original things that we have out there. Like we can still do, you know, we, we sold a project to Legendary called The Nightmare Mechanics that we're still, that we wrote right now, um, which isn't just original based on no IP or anything. Like let's do this one now and get this done. And then we can still focus on that. And we'll use this not to be like, cool, now we're franchise guys. We're going to be like, this is going to enhance our brand. And this and where we take it from here. Looking back, it one thousand percent was the right move to make this movie, to have this experience, to work with Kevin Williamson, to work with Jamie Vanderbilt, to create a new chapter of Scream. Because, um, like, I think the skills that we've all learned on this are a both different from what we've done before. B, it stretched a new muscle for us, and we're like, all right, cool. This is this was a lot of fun working with this team and these studios, and and being able to give this franchise that is one of the reasons we became filmmakers a a new voice and to do it in a way that we could all be very excited about and you know make a movie that's made by fans for Wes and Kevin rather than Wes and Kevin making a movie for the fans you know so it's like let's approach it that way and that's going to be our holistic approach to this and and like let's keep that um, our focus and why we're doing this. All right so Chad if you can even think beyond the franchise, right? So that's like what the next 10 years of your life. If you can even think beyond that, that what is beyond the franchise? What is your future? What do you want to do after that? Well, that, um, I mean, I do want to do the the original things as well. I think, you know, that's, that's important. Um, I would love to get a couple of things going in television. Um, I'm having a blast uh producing 
uh, other projects as well and working with other filmmakers and being like, oh, cool, now we could shepherd um, these other projects and get new voices into the world and, you know, talk to talk to new people and see, you know, we, we don't have an overall deal. We don't have a financing deal, but like what we can do value-wise is like enhance, you know, projects that are already out there and, and bring, you know, a, just to test the waters a little bit with them and, and bring them to the relationships we now have at like at Searchlight Pictures or at Paramount and and allow people to to, to get voices out there. And again, that's coming from, I, you know, I love watching movies. I love watching, you know, s- series. I love watching docs. You know, I'm like, I, I think let's do all that. That's kind of what I want to do. I want to do this franchise. I want to do... Um, start another franchise we'll see like how we do with nightmare mechanics and legendary we'll see like where the paths take us and we'll know a lot more in success of this movie or the failure of this movie like where what what roads that were you know open because it's not nothing's a given right like it's going to be we'll, we'll get done with this in april or may and then we'll have six months to wait before you know it comes out or before the first reviews are in and and during that time i better make sure that we have at least two or three other projects that are real and are going um, just in case. Because unfortunately that's the business we live in and, and that's one we operate in. But at the same time, I wanna have that fun too, right? Like you wanna make other movies, like you, you wanna make other projects, you wanna make other cool things. So it's like, you know, it is what it is for now and it, it, it's a very fortunate place to be. Um, but also coming at this from you know, a nerdy fanboy from Punxsutawney, I'm like, all right, <laughs> let's like let's throw something else on because that's that's what movies are, right? You watch one, and you're like, that was awesome. What are we watching next? And I think that's that's the approach, you know, to, to just generate a whole bunch of stuff that people can watch next and you know es- escape their lives for a little bit, you know, or inspire them to do something different or make them want to make horror movies or that have like a social bite to them. Um, I think the more we can inspire people to do that, the better. When can we get you out to a Western PA or is there a Midsommar meets Groundhog Day in the future or something? Right. No, I mean, gosh, I I mean, I I need to get back as soon as things become safe in Los Angeles, because obviously now I'm like, I'm in the frying pan right now, you know, and I don't want to go into the fryer, which would be LAX um, and and go home. But my parents did get vaccinated on last Thursday. So they got their first, the first round. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so that's going to make that trip back um, happen a little sooner um, rather than later. So hopefully this spring, uh, while we're probably wrapping this up, I, I want to get back before we're done with this movie. So I'll, I'll definitely let you know when I'm in town um, and if I could come up for a night um, and, and say hi to everybody in Erie and Edinburgh and be like, what's up? Also, I, I haven't driven by Mercyhurst in, in years, so I kind of want to, I, I do want to do that drive um, through Erie. And hopefully bars will be open again now, you know, soon because I don't know. Are, are they open there or like, are they not? Uh, yeah. uh, there's a lot of right? take. There's you a can, lot of take You can out. eat indoors. Yeah. yeah, you can eat indoors But now. you can't drink at you the bars. You can't like, you can't roll up to a bar, but yeah. you can eat indoors. You can sit at a table with people and eat. Got it. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. We well, can do that. All right, well, well, John may later. not. He's a little. Yeah, John. John's been staying in in hiding, but. Right. I think that. I'm getting yeah. vaccinated in February this month. Though. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm an adjunct 
instructor and so right. i get at a university at gannon yeah so i'm around young people so i get i guess i'm gonna get vaccinated i'm told oh, i have no idea you're around those filthy young people yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Petri dishes. You know, just, no, really apparently, yeah. no, the students in my my high school, I have high school seniors and I have college freshmen and the high school seniors, 25% of the class have already had COVID. Oh, my God. Dang. That's yeah. Crazy. That's because they're high school seniors and they can't right. help themselves. They want to be around each other. That's right. Yeah. That's about right. They're yeah. out there necking. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Just necking on a gas well road. Yeah. There he goes. Yeah. That happens. Wow. I don't think I've heard necking in a long time. <laughs> thought, thought, I'd, thought I'd throw it out there, see if it catches on That's again. Good one. That's a good one. I hope so. I'm going to start using That's it That's a good now. one. <laughs> sure. A good one. Um, well done, yeah. John. Well, Chad, this has been uh, awesome to, uh, you know, catch up with you again and, uh, Thanks. Thanks for your time, of course. And yeah, hopefully uh, if we get you back here and maybe we'll make movies in Pennsylvania or something. That's the in goal, the future. right? Who knows? I would, right? to, I would love to do something there. We've been talking about Pittsburgh too for one of our projects. So hopefully if I get there, I can, I'll be like, hey, what's up? You guys want to come down and work for some pizza? we'll work for pizza that's the radio silence way yeah. <laughs> all right guys well thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it. that was this was a lot of fun that's been our episode thank you to our guest chad villella make sure you follow the film society of northwestern pa and the greater erie film office on social media you'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode until next time this was film grain